Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 7th of February, 2022. This is episode 540 of Bitcoin and truckers. Lots of truckers. Truckers everywhere. They're everywhere, people. I mean, they're they're on they're they're like in Toronto or uh, Ottawa. They're in on the uh, U.S. Canadian border. There's thousands. There's tens of thousands of them. And the meme lords are going strong. Apparently, apparently, let me see, make sure I don't have, yeah, there we go. Um, Convoy 2022 War Room, Kevin Snyder, aka Kevin Snyder on Twitter, uh, seems to be saying that one of the greatest trolls in history will take place tomorrow. I don't know if that actually means today, but if you live in Ottawa, grab a jerry can and join the party Everyone is going to be walking around with one in protest. You don't need gas, just the jerry can. What the hell is this all about? I'm, I am literally not exactly sure. I woke up this morning to hearing reports about like Ottawan cops stealing gas out of truckers, tanks. And I can tell you this, if you pull that shit at a truck stop in the United States, you'll get shot. The truckers do not fuck around here. You try to steal a trucker's gas and, and you wake their ass up doing it and they come out of their cab, they're coming out of their cab armed. I, I defy you to find me a United States trucker that is not armed and probably armed to the teeth. At least, if nothing else, they've got a sidearm. And if you're stealing their gas, they will come out of their cab and they will fucking shoot you. So I'm not exactly sure what the hell's going on with cops in Ottawa. I haven't gotten any really good solid reporting, but apparently something's going on to the point that the meme lords are going to get up from their computers, grab a red gas can, AKA a jerry can, and walk around Ottawa. And this is what happens when meme lords go outside. Now, some people will call them LARPers. I get it. But it is, I mean, in a way, it's... Let's let me make a suggestion. <clears throat> Not all live action role playing is actually bad. Okay? Could we is it possible that there are larpers that are not actually assholes? And is if so, is this a good example of one because here's what's happened. The meme lords have literally made a meme outside in the real world walking around doing shit. And I can't think of any other phrase to use rather than live action role play, but that term always gets a really bad rap. I mean, it or, or you use it as giving somebody a bad rap. You call somebody a LARPer, you know, Hey, you're just live action role playing. Well, 
it seems to me that this is LARPing in a good way, and I'm not sure if I'm right. If I'm completely off base on this, please feel free to tag my ass on Twitter. I am Ghost of Nunya on Twitter. It is my my coming back to life after Twitter killed Kenny. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then you haven't followed me on Twitter for very long. In either event, uh, if you are in Ottawa, and if this is going on right now, please take pictures, take videos, put them on, on Twitter. You make sure that they get, you know, go around the horn so that we can figure out what the hell's going on with supposed gasoline stealing in Ottawa from truckers, which by the way, again, don't do that. Don't steal their gas. You could end up dead. I'm serious, man. They don't mess around with that kind of shit. They don't mess around with you jacking with their tires. Like if you try to slit their, you know, like, I don't know, sidewall their tires with a knife or something like that. They don't like that shit either. They honestly just stay away from the trucks. You start messing with it because that truck is their property. You start messing around with it. Truckers, eh, it's a pretty hard life and they get screwed all the time. I would not go near one of those trucks unless I was going to give one of them dudes a sandwich for the life of me. All right. So just stay away. If you're, if you want to take part in this gasoline stealing bullshit, uh, you're taking your life in your own hands. Uh, Also a report today, Samurai Down, not Samurai, the, not Samurai, the service or wallet or anything like that. No, 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 no. Samurai, my good friend, Used to be a Nakadai Mon, I think is what it was, and he got his Twitter account pulled. He apparently has is now the spirit of a fallen samurai. You can follow him again on his new account at Spirit of Nakadai. That spirit of, like you would imagine, all one word, N-A-K-A-D-A-I. Nakadai, I guess is how you pronounce it. Maybe it's Nakadai. I don't know. But it's Spirit of Nakadai on Twitter. Please give him a follow. Get his uh, account back up to where it was because he was always a good follow as Nakadai Mon. Uh, Let's see. Okay, let's get into the news here. Venezuelans reportedly hit by new Bitcoin tax of up to 20%. Oh, joy. Helen Parts has it for Cointelegraph. The Venezuelan government has approved a new tax bill aiming to collect up to 20% in taxes from cryptocurrency transactions, according to local reports. Okay, that's on a transaction. I'm assuming that that's not just trading. That's actually like, I don't know, buying something off of a cart on the street if they're taking Bitcoin. The Venezuelan government, or sorry, Venezuela's National Assembly held a second discussion session on Thursday for a new draft bill targeting taxes on large financial transactions in cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. The Venezuelan government reportedly approved the last or the draft bill last Thursday requiring local firms and individuals to pay up to 20% for operations carried out in cryptocurrencies as well as foreign currencies such as the United States dollar. Filed on January the 20th, the draft law aims to collect between 2 and 20% from transactions in any currencies other than those issued by the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela or the Venezuelan Bolivar and the country's oil-backed cryptocurrency, El Petro. (laughs) Venezuela's not going to make it, dude. 
The initiative aims to incentivize the use of the national currency, which reportedly lost over 70% in value last year alone and shed nearly all its value over the past decade. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is necessary to guarantee treatment at least equal to or more favorable to payments and transactions made in the national currency or in cryptocurrencies or crypto assets issued by the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela versus payments made in a foreign currency, the bill reads. Yeah, you guys are just not going to make it at all. As previously reported by Cointelegraph, Bitcoin adoption has been skyrocketing in Venezuela in recent years, with many thousands of local businesses starting to move into cryptocurrency to survive hyperinflation in October 2021. A major international airport in Venezuela was preparing to start accepting cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin as payments for tickets and other services. So, yeah, this is Venezuela. They introduced the Petro. If you don't remember, this is whole, you know, Maduro's regime, one of the shittiest, shittiest regimes on the face of the planet. And they are running scared. And here's what's funny about it. There is not, I mean, honestly, they don't have enough manpower to back this shit up. Will they catch somebody? Yes. Will they make an example of them? Yes. Will it scare some other people into not doing it because they don't want to be thrown in jail or tortured or whatever happens down there? Yes. Will it stop it? No. Will adoption continue to grow? Yes. It's just an inevitability. This is what happens when you suppress a group of people for so long This is exactly what happens. You're going to get civil disobedience. You're going to get people using other people's money other than your own because you've debased it to the point that it's virtually worthless. And in very extreme cases, you get full-blown violent street revolutions such as, oh, I don't know, France in the 1700s. All right, this shit happens. And it just amazes me that governments around the world at one point or another, don't have a meeting with each other saying, shit, dude, we're getting real close to violent revolutions in the street. Do we really want to do what you're proposing because we're a little concerned that that might push the populace right over the edge? Well, this is what's happening in Venezuela. I don't know if they're going to go into like full-blown riots or, or violent revolution, but what's not going to stop is the adoption of Bitcoin because nobody's going to use the Petro. Nobody does use the Petro. The Bolivar is pure garbage. What do you expect them to do? Of course they're going to do this. Of course they're going to do it. Of course they are going to do it. Unless you're writing for The Economist, the magazine, or the publication, or whatever the hell you want to call it. They put out, oh my God, they they put out a tweet that just caused them to self-immolate, which means set yourself on fire. The Economist yesterday at 8.44 a.m., or actually, no, this was on, sorry, this was on uh, Saturday. Yeah, 8.44 a.m., February the 5th. And they say this, as long as Bitcoin and its ilk are decentralized, the ability of far-right groups to use them will remain. Well, Economist, that's the whole point. And it ain't just the far-right that can use them. It's anyone, you, me, the far left, the central right, some dude out in the you know steps of Russia. It does not matter. It's money for everyone. 
It's freedom money. And if you don't like it, well, I'm sorry, but dude, these guys are getting savaged. I mean, absolutely savaged in the comments. Almost every comment that I see, or at least saw when uh, about an hour, two hours, to about, you know, to the almost a full day after this tweet was, was tweeted out, almost every single comment, which are not, or reply to the tweet, which were not kind, ratioed the original tweet from The Economist. It's the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. They are literally getting ratioed into oblivion on this tweet, as well they should. Why? You want to read the article? I do. Let's do it. From The Economist, and I have no idea who's uh, writing it. They have no author line. Wait, let me go down to the bottom, make sure. Yep, there is no author line that I can see. The tagline is, uh, or rather the, the, the headline is, the charm of cryptocurrencies for white supremacists. White power, dark money. Uh, from The Economist, as I said, on August the 11th, 2017, far-right groups from all over America came to Charlottesville, Virginia to protest against the removal of a Confederate statue. The next day, a white supremacist drove his car into a crowd of counter-protesters, killing one of them. In the aftermath, PayPal, an online payment platform whose terms of service forbid raising money to promote hate, suspended extremist accounts. So did Apple Pay and Google Wallet. Visa and Discover, two credit card firms followed suit, as did Patreon, a crowdfunding site. Far-right groups found themselves in search of other places to raise money. What many of them embraced was cryptocurrency. The Southern Poverty Law Center, an advocacy group. Oh, God, you spelt terror organization wrong. Anyway, they've identified over 600 cryptocurrency addresses used by members of the far right. They include ones associated with Andrew Anglin, publisher of a neo-Nazi website, The Daily Stormer. Andrew Arenheimer, a white supremacist hacker, and Don Black, founders of a white power online forum. They advertise their wallets on their websites and social media asking for donations, and they get them. Oh, the horror. Stefan Molyneux, a far-right podcaster who was ousted from YouTube, has received over $1.67 million in Bitcoin. Mr. Anglin has reportedly received over 100 Bitcoin, or 300, or uh, $3.8 million. About 16% of Americans hold or trade crypto, but the authors of an SPLC report re published in December struggled to find a prominent American far-right figure without a cryptocurrency presence. Tim Squirrel of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, a think tank concerned with extremism, believes much of this has to do with deplatforming efforts. You think? Really? Oh, oh my God! I. I would have never thought in a millionaires that this could be a result of people being deplatformed from everything under the sun. Be that as it may, continuing. The cryptocurrencies can be used by all appeals to those who cast out or to those cast out by payment platforms. But Bitcoin was not a panacea for far-right groups because any transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain is public and transparent. Researchers were, for a long time, able to monitors, monitor individuals' dealings once an anonymous wallet had been identified as belonging to a radical right group, Neo-Nazi BTC Tracker, a Twitter account created by John Bambanek, 
a crypto threat expert, chronicle transactions in real time for three years. Technological advances in crypto have made privacy tokens like Monero, which hide transactions possible. These groups have probably flocked to them. The wider crypto scene is often imbued with an anti-establishment spirit. <gasps> Perish the thought. Its fans proclaim that decentralized blockchains will revolutionize finance. This idea appeals to libertarians or those who distrust the, tr distrust the traditional banking system, but it also appeals to anti-Semites. This is the economist. This is one of the most celebrated rags ever when it comes to the economy, economics, legacy financial shit, anti-Semitism. How in the fuck does this get in here? Holy shit. Those who believe banks hold too much power because they fear Jewish control over business will be seduced by the idea of an independent or decentralized financial system. Cryptocurrency can therefore be both a useful funding tool and seen as a revolutionary technology which distances people and their money from, quote, elites and banksters, end quote. The idea extends into other industries such as tech that have tried to quash white supremacists from using their platforms. Quote, one of the dreams of the far right is not just a blockchain cryptocurrency, but a decentralized future where they don't have to rely on mainstream structures, says Mr. Squirrel. Squirrel. They want blockchain blogging websites, blockchain streaming websites to escape the deplatforming. Others' angst is grist to their mill. Quote, breathless, pearl-clutching exposés about powerless political dissidents using cryptocurrencies are transparent smear campaigns by hirelings of the political and economic establishment that fears the erosion of its power, says Greg Johnson, author of the White Nationalist Manifesto. As long as Bitcoin and its ilk are decentralized, the ability of far-right groups to use them will remain. Intermediaries, exchanges such as Coinbase and Binance are another matter. But crypto still has plenty of disadvantages that may stymie extremist adopters. In May 2021, Monero reached $480. It now stands at $150. Bitcoin has shed 40% of its value since November. That's the end of the article. They end it with, oh, look how the price has gone down. Are you kidding me? This is the argument that some that a storied and celebrated publication such as The Economist can come up with? This is it? Dude, if this is your argument, you are in fucking trouble. You're not going to make it. The Economist is not going to make it, ladies and gentlemen. They are not. So I think, honestly, I think the tide is turning here. It's going to be fun to watch. I'll guarantee you that. I want to see a bunch of red jerry cans walking around Ottawa. That's what I want to see. Now, Bitcoin Magazine's Mike Hobart and Tyler Bain writing, addressing more Bitcoin energy FUD by showing the mirror. During the House hearing on crypto's energy use and impact, there was a point of opposition provided in the manner of number of jobs per unit of electricity consumed. I'm not nonplussed by the question. I think there's a fair question to ask relative to our understanding of where our energy is going somewhere in there. And maybe there is some validity to comparing it to our employment figures. I don't know. But to gain a bearing of understanding around this kind of thinking, I wanted to look to compare the energy consumption of one of our favorite companies here in the United States. I chose to look at Microsoft. 
On some quick napkin math, I looked at Microsoft's two, uh, 2019 employment numbers, 144,000. As I could only find data on their energy consumption from 2019, 2019's total, total energy use, thanks to Microsoft's 2019 environmental sustainability data fact sheet, comes in at just over two, what, no, 9.2 million megawatt hours which is 9,200 gigawatt hours or 9.2 terawatt hours. Before we attempt to look into the energy consumption and moralization conversation, a quick input from the American Geosciences Institute. Quote, the amount of electricity that a power plant generates over a period of time depends on the amount of time it operates at a specific capacity. For example, if the RE-GINA reactor operates at 582 megawatt capacity for 24 hours, it will generate 13,968 megawatt hours, end quote. The largest nuclear reactor in the world as of January 2020 resides in Japan. Tokyo's Kashiwazaki Kiraba reactor, I know I butchered it, reactor has a net capacity just shy of 8,000 megawatts, so for conversation's sake, we'll just use that nice round number to get our megawatt hour measurement so we can compare production to consumption. So let's do the math. 8,000 megawatt output times 24 hours is 192,000 megawatt hours. Now, we need to get the annual potential output. This metric is not going to necessarily be reliable because nukes cannot operate perpetually. There is very important maintenance along the way in order to ensure that all safety and regulatory guidelines are met, but we're speaking in hypotheticals here. So 192,000 megawatt hours times 365 days is 70,000 or no, 70 million, 80,000 megawatt hours annually or 70,000 gigawatt hours or 70 terawatt hours. According to powertechnology.com, that plant produces enough power to support 16 million homes. Here we have Microsoft consuming nearly 13% of that relative output all for themselves. And if we wanted to go down the line of thought around number of jobs per unit of electricity consumed, we'd get a figure that looks something like this. 9.2 million megawatt hours divided by 144,000 employees is 63.9 megawatt hours for every single employee. According to the United States Energy Information Administration, the average household consumes 10,700 kilowatt hours per year at 893 kilowatt hours per month. Okay, now my math might be wrong here, so check me, but according to my brain, that means that Microsoft's energy consumption per employee equals that of approximately, checks notes, 4,000 households each. Is this really a metric that Bitcoin's opponents want to use to try and argue against supporting the network and asset? Both Microsoft and Bitcoin are providing massive services to tens of millions of people across the world between facilitating digital communications and operations to securing purchasing power and providing functionality for cross-border payments and settlement finality that are leaps and bounds improved over the standards today. As a former artist and academic by passion, all I ask is this, can we please criticize from honest, 
even, and fair grounds? Can Bitcoin's opponents throw hypocrisy and ignorance out the window? Okay, that's the end of the article. So let's look at these two questions. Can we please criticize from honest, even, and fair grounds? No, because it's impossible for these people to do so. They're never going, they're never, ever, ever going to capitulate. They're going to die on that hill. So no, the answer to your first question is absolutely not. They will never, never criticize from honest, even, or fair grounds. Second question, can Bitcoin's opponents throw hypocrisy and ignorance out the window? How? They are, their ignorance will never change. They don't have time to get educated about shit. They're too worried about their next contract negotiation. And second of all, hypocrisy, dude, they live and breathe hypocrisy. That is the only way they can get their message across is through hypocrisy, by being hypocritical. Because the more outlandish you sound and the more times you repeat it, the more eyeballs are drawn to you, which is one of the reasons why my podcast doesn't have millions, you know, hundreds of thousands or even tens of thousands of listeners. Because I, 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 I don't do shit like this. I just don't. I sure I fuck up. I make some serious mistakes, but God knows at least they're honest. But good guys never win. And this is why. You have to literally be dishonest. You have to be unfair. You have to be uneven. You have to be hypocritical. And you have to thrive on fucking ignorance to survive, apparently, or not survive, but to thrive in the media world that we're used to today. You can't be any of those things. You can't, or any of the opposites of those things. You have to be a bad person. And you have to, even if you're a good person at heart, you got to throw that shit out of the window the second that you walk onto the floor of whatever media corporation you're working for. This is never going to change. The only thing that's going to change is more good people doing the stuff that, you know, writing news, starting newsletters, starting a podcast, starting a YouTube channel. It's up to us to educate everybody else because they have been lacking in getting educated by anything for so long. They think what they're getting is an education. I tweeted out today and I included Brandon Quidham's name in it. Education is the keystone species. He's done Bitcoin and mycology. He's done Bitcoin and pioneer species. It's time for somebody to write about the keystone species. If you don't know what a keystone species is, it is this. It is a species that if lost in an ecosystem, the entire ecosystem falls apart. It just falls apart. You can look at the predator, the, or okay, a wolf in the American West is a predator. It's, they're more than, they're, they're, wolves are everywhere, but like in the American West, specifically Yellowstone National Park, they reintroduced the wolf. And rivers that had been running dry are now running with water in them because of the wolf. The chain reaction of the reintroduction of the wolf into that ecosystem solidified and made the ecosystem whole again. When they took the wolf away, and they did because it was, you know, it was problematic. There's some problems with wolves insofar as if you're a rancher, you don't want the wolves killing your cattle. So it was, I know, I'm not even going to go up. I mean, ranchers need to keep their shit protected, but wolves need to be there too. I, I don't know how to make that fit with each other, but I can say this. Wolves were demonstrated to be a keystone species because when they were removed from Yellowstone National Park, in the surrounding areas, 
uh, everything fucking fell apart. It, you got to look, you, I mean, as a lay person, you got to look hard because as you know, as a lay person, you go in, it's like, oh, the trees are still growing and the big rocks are still here. I don't see what the problem is. Now you do have to look deeper, but it, but the wolves were a keystone species. In my opinion, education in this space is the keystone species. We lose our ability or our desire to educate in this space. You can kiss Bitcoin goodbye. I really believe that because everybody will end up in shit coins and it's just, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think that the keystone, so, uh, keystone species of education in the Bitcoin space is safe and sound. So I'll just end it right there. Now, let's see. Uh, do we really need to read? No, that one's just going to be too long. So let's just do this one. Kira Wright is writing it for Cointelegraph. Protesters migrate to crypto fundraising platform following GoFundMe ban. Yeah, if you've been following it over the weekend, it is quite the shit show. Truckers protesting the COVID-19 vaccine mandate in Canada have turned to Bitcoin-based crowdfunding platform TallyCoin. Following a barrage of mounting political pressures from all sides that culminated in GoFundMe axing their Freedom Convoy campaign. Now, I'm going to pause right here. And we're going to go a little bit meta, okay? Kira is writing the headline as protesters migrate to crypto fundraising. No, Kira, you're wrong. They're not using crypto fundraising. They're using Bitcoin. So to all the people at Cointelegraph, at what point do you stop spelling Bitcoin wrong? It's embarrassing. It's fucking embarrassing you need to stop it. Continuing, GoFundMe pulled the campaign and $9 million in donations on Friday in response to reports of violence, which it claimed broke out, it broke its terms of service. Initially, donors needed to apply to have their funds refunded. However, following a flurry of criticism, the platform backtracked on Saturday, deciding that it would automatically refund donors instead. Shortly after GoFundMe axed the campaign, a group of the organizers moved their efforts to TallyCoin, a crowdfunding platform built on the Bitcoin blockchain. Legacy financial infrastructure can sometimes be politicized and clamped down upon, whereas Bitcoin is a truly censorship-resistant method of communicating value, stated the new fundraising page. As it currently stands at the time of writing, $321,111 has been donated to TallyCoin, the fundraiser, only a fraction of the $9 million raised on GoFundMe. It also remains to be seen whether the funds raised on TallyCoin will be subject to the same governmental and political pressure when converted into fiat currency. Uh, let's see. Oh, the Freedom Convoy campaign initially started in mid-January as a fundraiser on GoFundMe for cross-border truckers in Canada protesting vaccine requirements. Since then, it has turned into an all-encompassing rallying point against prescriptive public health measures, including lockdowns and mask requirements. This isn't the first time governments or big tech has issued mandates on who can or cannot receive money based on politics. GoFundMe also froze $160,000 in funds until organizers of Convoy to Canberra detailed a spending plan on January the 31st. Shortly before the initial Freedom Convoy campaign was axed, it had reportedly become the fifth 
most successful in GoFundMe's history. So that's the end of the article, but there's a lot more to this. For one, I'm not terribly certain that it is, um, that the fund, that the people that were doing the fundraising for the convoy actually put together the tally coin campaign. I think it was put together for them by Bitcoiners because we were like, we're going to show you how to do it. This is how it's done. You want to get your money? This is how we do it. Bitcoin fixes this. I'm pretty sure that the organizers of the convoy and the fundraising for the convoy have absolutely nothing to do with this. However, they are going to benefit from it. Second of all, we've now got uh, like, actually there's eight, I think there's, as of this morning, there's 8.8 Bitcoin in the tally coin. Uh, so, uh, although that, wait a minute, hold on. If I, Novak, uh, Rodolfo Novak tweeted out earlier today that there's a total of 8.8 Bitcoin that's been raised in total, but that's on three separate platforms. So I think there's like something like $500,000 in TallyCoin. There's like $5.5 million in something else, unless he's got his numbers wrong. I don't know. I mean, it's it, like I said, this whole thing between the gasoline and who's getting funded and what funding platforms there are, it's all a really confusing mess. And I really hope that we get this shit solved here pretty damn quick so that we can figure out <clears throat> just what the hell's going on. But be, no matter the mess, no matter trying to untangle all the spaghetti that's stuck against the wall, what we have is a bunch of Bitcoiners who are showing the truckers 60, at, I think at this point it's like between all of them, we're, we may be talking 60,000 truckers. We're showing them how it's done. If we can orange pill 60,000 truckers, do you have any idea what that means? It means a hell of a lot more than orange pilling 60,000 people that drive something. They're truckers. Well, why is that important? Because they're the base of the infrastructure, of all infrastructure. Grocery stores, home building. Because, I mean, home building? How, how home building? Unless somebody with a semi is dragging the wood to your fucking house lot, you ain't building no house. Unless somebody's like trucking all the bricks to your building, you're not facing that building. Unless somebody is going to put a whole bunch of steel beams and truck that shit to your building site, you have no building. This goes for ships. This goes for gasoline. It goes for oil. It goes for food. If they don't truck the food to the grocery store, guess what? Grocery store ain't got no food. I know that many millennials, or not millennials, but I know that many people believe that food comes from a grocery store. It does not. It comes from farms and ranches. It comes from farms and ranches. It, it's shipped from farms and ranches to a packing place, and then they, it gets packed most of the time. And then, and then that company ships it on, on another set of trucks to your grocery store. So twice, you have to depend on truckers at minimum. Now we're going to orange pill all the all the base drivers of all the infrastructure for Canada and the United States. And you don't think that that's not a huge fucking deal. It is, it is a massive deal. This has to be done right. I hope that it is. I am begging 
that even though the the people who ever put together the tally coin thing are sitting there going, Jesus Christ, what we, what have we gotten ourselves into? How how are we going to disperse this? How do you know? I, I'm sure that there's a, a level of nervousness because they just did it. It was a gut reaction. It was it was fuck these people from GoFundMe. Let's do it the right way. And now we got to actually figure out how to complete that on the other end. There is no amount of people in this space that have gotten themselves into something and are going, oh shit, what have I done? <laughs> and I am one of them. Screw it, let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, oil down, but not all that much. 1% down for West Texas Intermediate uh, to $91.35 down a 0.62% for Brent North Sea to $92.73. Natural gas is taking it on the chin, or it's a kick in the crotch, depending. Six and a quarter percent to the downside to $4.28. Gasoline is slightly up, 0.13% to the upside, $2.68 a gallon. Gold and silver doing well. Gold up 0.41 to $1,815. Silver, though, making a good move. 1.71% to the upside, $22.86. Platinum is down over a point. Copper is down a half point. And palladium is down well over two points, uh, two and three quarter points to be exact. Agricultural futures are kind of rocking a little bit. We got wheat up a percent. Soybeans are up one5 Corn is up 1.6%. Uh, the biggest loser today is going to be cotton down 0.65%. Um, actually, it's a nope. That's a tie between corn and cotton. They're both uh, they're but no no corn sugar and cotton are both down. Indices Dow futures up <clears throat> 0.1%. Actually, nope. This is live at this point. The markets are indeed open. I think I'm not sure. I don't worry about it because these numbers are going to change throughout the day anyway. Uh, the All the stuff that I told you about before, that shit actually ends up being fairly stable. However, Dow, S&P, NASDAQ, and, and the S&P, who knows what's going to happen throughout the day. But right now, Dow is at 0.08% to the upside. S&P up 0.13. NASDAQ futures likewise, 0.13 to the upside. And uh, S&P 0.06% to the upside. Real money is at $42,856, 235 just flipped over, 235,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's still well down below 12,000 transactions per hour that I want. Uh, we have, we're standing at 9,791 every hour. A mere half million BTC have been sent in that 24 hour period. That's 21,100 BTC every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 2.16 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.012 BTC or about 500 bucks. Block times are very close to stable at 10 minutes and four seconds. 0.079 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, 11.15 BTC taken overall in fees in 24 hours. With a 14.95% rise in hash rate, we're at 200 and or 200.36 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 15.7 United States pennies. What does this teach us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dominoon Heron? 
means nobody learns their lesson. They're still aping into shit like Doge. It's they're just not going to make it. Not going to make it. 12,790 transactions waiting on six blocks to clear. $816.8 billion of market cap is 6.86% of gold's entire market cap. And now the, now we can get 23.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,951,141.5. Yeah, try to do that, Federal Reserve. 3,432.6 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $148.3 million, being run over 19,989 nodes. Gentlemen and ladies, we are about to flip to 20,000 nodes that we can see. 85,733 payment channels and 76.4% of all of it's being run over Tor. That's 11,565 Tor Lightning nodes that we can see, and that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. BuzzFeed outs Board Ape Yacht Club founders. Doxing or journalism? By Jeff John Roberts, decrypt.co. Everyone knows about Board Ape Yacht Club, the collection of 10,000 ape avatars that have become the most prestigious and most expensive NFT collection out there. But what people didn't know was who exactly is behind Bored Ape Yacht Club until Friday when BuzzFeed published an investigation revealing the identity <clears throat> of two of the four BAYC co-founders who until now have been known simply by their ape personas, Gordon Goner and Gorgamel. It turns out these apes are two fairly ordinary 30-somethings from Florida named Wiley Arano and Greg Solana. Oh, I can't pronounce any of these names this morning. My God, it's Monday. Who once had literary aspirations, but then got into crypto. The company behind BAYC, Yuga Labs, confirmed their identities after BuzzFeed's report. BuzzFeed's report did not contain anything scandalous about the men, but the reaction on crypto Twitter has been, oh my God, ferocious. Numerous members of the crypto community lashed out at the online publication, accusing it of invading the men's privacy through doxing, a term that typically refers to publishing personal details about a person in order to subject them to harassment or punishment. The popular podcaster Kobe called the article trash and complained of BuzzFeed's doxing people for clicks and ad revenue, while Mike Solana, a VP at VC firm Founders Fund, excuse me, said it was disgusting to reveal the men's identities under the pretext of it being some kind of massive scoop. Ryan Selkis, the crypto blogger and founder of shit company Misery, whatever the hell you pronounce, however the hell you pronounce it, blasted the story in similar fashion and found and shared an unflattering 20, or 2009 tweet that showed the story's author, Katie Notopolis, using a homophobic slur. Ah, uh, the left's tactics are not lost on Ryan. The predominant view on crypto Twitter appears to be that BuzzFeed and its reporters did something wrong and malicious. Outside of the crypto world, however, people offered a very different perspective. Gabe Riviera, founder of the popular Silicon Valley site TechMeme, or I guess it's TechMeme, sorry, that should have been very evident, whatever, described the BuzzFeed 
piece as standard business journalism and asked why only a handful of insiders should get to know who is behind a company that is worth billions of dollars. Others pointed out that Notopolis, Notopolis? Notopolis, Notopolis, I think that's it. Notopolis obtained the men's identity simply by searching Yuga Labs corporate records, including its Delaware Incorporation papers, documents that are available to anyone on the internet. Perusing such records is common practice for lawyers, journalists, and law enforcement, and does not fit the traditional definition of doxing. Others pointed out that BAYC is a billion-dollar brand and that the issue of whether it was right to disclose the identities of Solano and Anaro turns on whether they are really ordinary people. Fundamentally, the controversy over BuzzFeed and BAYC boils down to whether crypto billionaires should be able to avoid the same sort of scrutiny that politicians and business leaders are subject to in free societies. Scrutiny that helps citizens hold them accountable and understand who is running powerful segments of society. I don't think Board Ape Yacht Club fits into uh, powerful segments of society. Just because something's worth a lot of money doesn't mean that it's effective at all. So I'm just saying, man, the opposite view in which any sort of public scrutiny is treated as unacceptable invasion of privacy prevails in China and Russia, where wealthy elites silence and jail their critics. As for Solano and Arano, both men appear to be taking the the controversy in stride. Shortly after the BuzzFeed article appeared, they posted pictures of themselves on Twitter in a Web 2 versus Web 3 me format that many on Twitter are now following. Solano and Arano used or also used their tweets to make a point that has been repeated by others in the wake of the BuzzFeed controversy. The advent of Web3 and its decentralized technology promises to make it easier to remain anonymous and avoid the sort of mass public exposure that defined the Web2 era. The coming months, as BAYC grows into a Web3 super brand with Hollywood representation, will put that proposition to the test. And curiosity about the people behind the most prominent Web3 identities and their personal views aren't going away. Fuck all of these people. They're trying to scam you out of your money with their stupid board ape yacht club. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. And do I give a shit whether or not these guys' names are out there? No, not really. My name's David Bennett. I say it every morning on the show. Everybody knows who I am. They also know that I live in the panhandle of Texas. And for those who don't know, that's in the United States of America. Doxing complete. If you're worth billions of dollars, what do you care? It's not like you're not going to be able to afford private security or, or you know, a house in the Hamptons and that you got to crawl over a fence and then deal with Doberman Ventures. I mean, I mean honestly, it's not like the, it, it, it's honestly not like these guys are like going to be, well, actually, I, they could be sought after after Board Ape Yacht Clubs all go into the trash, which is where most NFTs are going to go. But still, I mean, do you really, I mean, is this really doxing if they already put their names out on, on papers that are incorporation papers that are publicly available? I mean, the second that you do that, you dox yourself. It, they're, they're public records. Anybody can search them. I, I kind of tend to, I, I'm, I'm saying that I, I'm leaning towards what the journalists were saying about, dude, this is standard fare. And my thing is, is like, look, if you are just dead set on not being doxxed, then you need to t- do all the things to not allow yourself to be doxxed. And when you do that and then you get doxxed, okay, there you go. You can be pissed and other people can be pissed in your stead. However, when you put your names 
on paperwork that are incorporation papers for a company that everybody knows the name of when they're buying these goddamn stupid apes, you, then you doxed yourself and you're just waiting for the, you know, waiting for it to come out. So I, I don't know. I just think it's just stupid. In either event, the meme of um, the guy telling the girl at the club that he's got at least one Bitcoin and she just completely goes ape shit. And, and even though he looks like a pile of shit, uh, that has come true, apparently. Uh, cryptocurrency investors are more attractive on the dating scene. <laughs> can't imagine why. Crypto potato Dimitar, I can't pronounce his name, uh, is writing it. According to a recent survey conducted by the trading platform eToro, every single men, man, woman, uh, wait a minute, hold on. Every single men and women are seeking partners who are not only financially stable, but also knowledgeable about cryptocurrencies. Okay, that was should have been uh, every single man and woman. I mean, whatever. 33% of the American participants admitted that they are more likely to go on a date with someone who deals with digital assets. Apart from diversifying one's portfolio and granting potential for higher returns, cryptocurrencies could also make investors look more attractive on the romance scene. eToro research revealed every third participant said they are more likely to go out with a crypto holder rather than a person who has not delved into the crypto, the digital asset space. Furthermore, nearly 75% admitted that they would go on a second date with an individual who paid the bill in Bitcoin. I'm going to stop right there. There's no reason to read the rest of it. You know everything that you need to know. A, the meme has come true. We knew it would. But second, you know, you got to you got to kind of admit or ask yourself a couple of questions. The first question to ask is is the are these numbers true? Just because crypto equals money and potentially lots of it. Well, I'm not going to discount that. But I also wonder if the second question might actually be more applicable. Is it the case that by delving into something brand new, doing your level best to understand it to the point that you've been able to buy it and that you're, you're somehow or another are credible on the scene to say, yes, I do crypto or whatever, you know, whatever you want, term you want to use, or yes, I have Bitcoin or whatever. Is it possible that that presents that person as somebody who is willing to take chances and somehow that's more exciting or, or rather not just more exciting, but somehow more survivable in the wild because they do take chances. Maybe they've taken chances before and they've survived those chances. I don't know. The the dance of the romance dance between men and women are very, very odd. And one doesn't have to look very far, but to the animal kingdom to see how this shit works, i.e. the peacock. Females do not have that massive peacock fan. Only the males do. And this is a theme that is repeated time and again in the animal kingdom. But let's stick with just peacocks. If you're a bird that really is kind of flightless because peacocks can't really fly very far. They can get up into the trees and shit like that, but essentially they're mostly ground birds, which makes them prey, okay? They're, they're gonna get preyed upon. Why the hell would you think 
that it would be a good idea, God, to attach a 12-foot tail or, well, okay, let's say three foot, a three foot tail to these things and have, you know, because now you got extra baggage to drag around with you through bushes and shit like that. You're trying to escape lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. And you've got three foot of this tail that you're dragging around with your ass and you survive. That's why God put the tail on the fucking peacock because the ones that are still alive apparently know how to survive, and that is sexy to the female peacock. So I wonder if the second question here is not actually the right one. It's not just that they may present wealth. Maybe it's because they're still alive, and and they're still like, you know, nobody wants to go out with somebody who's a sad sack. I get that. So you're just going to X those out right out. But the guy who's happy or the woman who's happy, and they're still in crypto, ah, that means they survive something. We've survived a lot. Us and Bitcoin have survived a shit ton. We keep surviving. We're never killed. We always come back for more. Twitter can delete us. We come back. We can take an 80% down draw on the price of Bitcoin. And what do we do? We meme our asses off. Of course we're attractive. Why? Because we survive. That's why. Now, the U.S. Treasury is targeting NFTs for potential high-value art money laundering. Oh, who could have seen this one coming? Apparently, Arjit Sarkar has, because he's writing it for Cointelegraph. The United States Department of the Treasury released a study on the high-value art market, highlighting the potential in the non-fungible token space to conduct illicit money laundering or terror financing operations. Uh, You know you've made it big time when you're being called a terrorist financing organization. Uh, The Treasury's study of the facilitation of money laundering and terror finance through the trade in works of art. That's, oh my God, that's the name of the study. This is how they name their shit at the treasury. Study of the facilitation of money laundering and terror finance through the trade in works of art. That study suggested that the increasing use of art as an investment or financial asset could make the high value art trades vulnerable, my God, to money laundering. You know, what do you think art trade is now, assholes? has been going on for decades. We didn't need NFTs to talk about this. Quote, the emerging online art market may present few risks depending on the structure and incentives of certain activity in the sector of the market, i.e. the purchase of NFTs, digital units on an underlying blockchain that can represent ownership of a digital work of art. End quote. <clears throat> the study underlines the importance of NFTs and representing ownership (laughs) of the digital and physical property that is managed and controlled via smart contracts and digital wallets. The Treasury also points out that the price of NFTs is determined by the buyer and seller and not the market, nor right-click save. Sorry, that was me. Quote, according to the U.S. authorities, in the first three months of 2021, the market for NFTs generated a record $1.5 billion in trading and grew 2,627% over the previous quarter, end quote. However, the NFT market in 2020 alone was valued at more than $20 billion. The United States Treasury suggested a possibility where criminals can purchase NFTs with illicit funds and resold to an unwary collector who would compensate the criminal with clean funds not tied to a prior crime. End quote. NFTs can also be sold via peer-to-peer sales, which bypasses the need for an intermediary intermediary or recording the transaction over the public tr- ledger. 
while underscoring the various money laundering vulnerabilities made possible by the NFT ecosystem, the Treasury concluded, quote, Moreover, the traditional industry participants, such as art auction houses or galleries, may not have the technical understanding of distributed ledger technology required to practice effective customer identification and verification in this space, end quote. Brenda Gentry, a USAA mortgage underwriter turned crypto entrepreneur, recently shared how the cryptocurrency ecosystem offered her a fighting chance to overcome the generational generational curses of poverty. Gentry, aka Miss Crypto Mom, left her decade-long job as a banker to pursue a full-time career in crypto as her initial investments from early 2020 confirmed the unprecedented opportunities offered by a crypto. Acknowledging the big learning curve into crypto, Gentry provides educational content through her website. Yeah, okay, I don't need any of that bullshit. I don't, I don't even know why that's here. And, and then they go on to a quote from her. So no, 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 no. Although this does, does go back to education being the keystone species in the space. Still though, I don't need her talking about crypto. So NFTs for laundering money. Oh, well, who would have guessed? I mean, honestly, how is this not going to happen? And honestly, how is the treasury not going to prick its ears up at this shit? Now, the question, the real question is, how come we haven't heard about any of this shit in the traditional art market, which is huge. It's ultra massive. You don't see it because if you're just a mere pleb, you're not going, you're not getting invitations to the champagne black tie dinner at some art gallery across the street from the fucking Met in New York City to look at like a bucket of urine with a crucifix in it that's selling for $25 million. This shit happens. Why do you think bad art sells? They're fucking laundering money. That's what this shit has been about for decades. Art is like, you know, some people buy art because they really like the piece. Honestly, most art is bought and sold to get rid of dirty money. I'm, that's just the way that it is. If you can't accept the truth, you don't need to be anywhere close to <laughs> NFTs because you're probably going to get freaking hosed, man. Let's see. What else have we got on deck? I'm not going to do that one. Uh, Ethereum name service nonprofit terminates Brantley Milligan's contract over tweets. If you don't know what Ethereum name service is, it's the dot ETH. When all, when you ever see these guys like Vitalik, I think Vitalik is Vitalik.eth on Twitter. That's the Ethereum name, name service. They have terminated a person's contract because of his tweets. Oh, my decentralization by Liam J. Kelly out of Decrypt the legal entity that leads development of the Web3, oh God, stop it, app, Ethereum name service, True Names Limited, has terminated Brantley Milligan's contract this morning. Milligan is the director of operations at ENS, a solution that turns complicated Ethereum addresses into easily readable .eth addresses. TNS, the nonprofit that funds and organizes the development of ENS, has terminated the contract of Brantley Milligan, effective today, read a tweet from Nick Johnson, the lead developer behind ENS. TNS move follows a backlash stemming from the reemergence of a controversial tweet from Milligan. And let's see, Brantley Milligan says it's Brantley.eth, uh, which is at Brantley Milligan on Twitter. On February the 5th, 
2022 says, hey, looks like I got my first mob. Nice to see some people finally read the first word of my bio. I love you all. I'm going to keep working on Web3. To which Hayden.eth says, Web3 should be inclusive and welcoming. You represent a core Web3 protocol and your public statements don't reflect these values, so people are understandably upset. If you love everyone, you should apologize to the people you called evil, non-existent, and perverse. In tweet. Quote, many of you were hurt by Brantley's comments over the past 24 hours, and we strongly believe that ENS should be an inclusive community. So we're going to eject them. Okay. In May 2016, Milligan tweeted that homosexual acts were evil, denied the existence of transgenderism, claimed that abortion was murder, and described contraception, masturbation, and pornography as a perversion. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm not even... I'm, Nobody needs to know what I think about any of this stuff. Probably shouldn't be doing any of this shit, but you know, some of these things are just, they're just going to be done whether you want it to or not. So it's, it's part of the life that we have to live in. He has continued to defend these views publicly responding to calls that he addresses the comments with not really anything to address. I adhere to the world's largest religion, and apparently that's not allowed in Web3. Milligan has also been removed indefinitely from his position as community steward by the ENS DAO following a vote within the community. An ENS steward is an elected role within the DAO responsible for maintaining its operations. Following his removal, another proposal outlined the next steps and included potentially removing him as director of the ENS Foundation and asking Milligan to step down from his leadership roles in ENS. The ENS token, the service's native governance scam token, has reacted modestly to the latest news, rising just over 1% in the past 24 hours, according to data from CoinMarketCap. So yeah, so the, the whole thing that allows you to have your .eth name, they're terminating the head, one of the highest guys up there. So decentralization, because here's what's going to happen. Eventually they're just going to like, you're going to have like, because you believe in the mission of Ethereum and you shouldn't, you're going to have some kind of my name.eth on your Twitter account. And they're going to rescind it because one day you respond to, oh, I don't know, Whoopi Goldberg and call her a name. In uh, the whole, I mean, I'm surprised with this person's views. I'm surprised he lasted this long in the first place at a place like the rainbow farting unicorn party that is Ethereum or the Ethereum Foundation or ENS or whatever. Because they're, you know, I mean, dude, come on, they're all... They're all like ponies. They're all like pony bros, right? So holding that transgenderism doesn't exist and homosexuality is bad and abortion is evil and all that kind of shit, I am absolutely stunned they let him stay as long as they did. Yet these are extremist right-wing views, bro. I can't believe the guy is even attached to Ethereum in the first place. I mean, let's be honest. Let's just be honest about it. Some people don't like this shit. Other people refuse to see any other views other than that you should teach your kids to be transsexual at fucking three years old. And honestly, I think but that's why I try not to get into either side of this. Because it's a, it's a hopeless, hopeless game that we play with each other. And it's just, it ends up getting people hurt. It ends up screwing shit up. And so when somebody says, David, do you believe, do you believe that transgenderism exists? I don't fucking know. And I don't care. 
I just don't give a shit. I got better fish to fry. As long as I'm not forcing somebody to do something, then I'm okay with it. We get into a whole separate issue when it comes to abortion. And I'm not even going to talk about it because that one is a no-win situation. Nobody wins in that situation ever. So I don't talk about that. But is homosexuality a thing? Yeah, probably. Should you be telling your four-year-old about homosexuality? No, probably not. Why can't you just let him be a four-year-old? Is it this hard? Is it is life actually this difficult to figure out? My God almighty, people. <sighs> That's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, we're running a little long, so I'm going to cut this one right here only to say if you want to support me and the stuff that I do, please do it through Podcasting 2.0, Sphinx Chat app, or the Fountain app, or Breeze Wallet are my three favorites right now. There are many, many others that support Podcasting 2.0. If you don't know what it is, this is the time to learn while it's new, while it's young. You don't want to... It's like... If you wait to learn about podcasting 2.0 and what it does, it's like adopting a 15-year-old kid and you have no idea what the history of that child is. You're in for a rough ride. It's not that it shouldn't be done. Adoption is good because kids need a home. But adopting one at 15, you got 15 years of history to try to unfurl. Don't be that adoptive parent with podcasting 2.0. Learn how to do it. Learn how to do it now. Learn what it means. Learn how it works. Adam Curry is the man behind that shit. He is at Adam Curry, C-U-R-R-Y on Twitter. Follow Adam Curry and you will learn as much as you need to know about Podcasting 2.0 because he will point you to all the places that you need to go to learn about it. Essentially what it does is it allows you to stream me Satoshis while I stream you these dulcet tones from the, from the Bitcoin and podcast. And because of that, I get value. Hopefully you're getting value and we're making that trade. This is important because this is not the only place that value for value transfers are going to occur. Do you consume media? What kinds? How many? Do you read books online? Do you have a subscription to like somebody else's podcast? Do you get a newsletter? Do you want to read articles? Do you watch movies? Do you listen to music? Do you, oh, I don't know, want to watch people juggle cats on YouTube? That's all consumption of media. And all of it can now be done with you giving funding to the people that created and those people that are creating are still able to create and bring you their creations. It is a value for value transfer and it will stem to everything, including my favorite software. That's right. If you don't want to pay 60 bucks a month for the privilege of using Adobe Photoshop and you didn't save your CS6 version, which you actually own and will always work, um, then yeah, go ahead, you know, pay $60. But if you don't want to pay the $60 a month, one of these days, Adobe's going to get wise. And they're going to say, you know, we'd get more people using Adobe products if instead of offering them like a subscription service at 60 bucks a month, but they don't use Photoshop or the Adobe products all that often, what we should do is allow them to stream us Satoshis 
while we stream them an active license token. And when they stop streaming us, uh, Satoshis, their license token is turned off and everything on their Adobe Photoshop basically goes gray and they can't use it anymore, which I know is from a, I know that statement being said about a company like Adobe is scary. I get it, but we've got to move on. I'm just saying, if I can stream them Satoshis for the 15 minutes that I need to use Adobe Photoshop and I have no other choices, then I would like to, I would actually do that. Or conversely, if I stop using the product and walk away from it, and I don't have like a mouse movement that my wallet detects in, let's say I set it for like 30 seconds, then all of a sudden the streaming stops and 30 seconds after that, or let's say 10 seconds, Adobe servers say your, your uh, uh, license token is no longer valid. This is going to be the way of the world and it's coming in the next five to 10 years. And if you're not there and you don't understand how this works, you're gonna have to basically unfurl the history of a 15 year old child and nobody needs to be doing that shit, all right? I'm just saying, if you want to learn how to do this, the best way to do it is to learn by streaming me Satoshis through Fountain App or the Breeze Wallet or Sphinx Chat. And it doesn't matter what podcasting app you use. You don't have to set anything up. All you have to do is you get the podcasting app that supports 2.0, look for Bitcoin and podcast, and that's it. You just set your wallet to stream me one Satoshi a minute, every minute while you're playing my podcast. And that's it. You don't have to worry about my RSS feed. You don't have to worry about dick. It's easy. Learn how to do it right now, and it will become so easy in the future that you may actually get a, you know, make a living either doing your own uh, podcasting 2.0 streaming or content creation or something like that. Or maybe you just teach people how to use it because they waited 10 years to figure out what value for value trade means. With all that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.